From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. So let's play a game. Say the San Francisco Chronicle is on fire, all the people are safe, and there are two minutes left to get stuff out the building. What negatives does Peter Hartlob grab from the archive? I'm definitely taking the Burlingame High prom photos that Deanne Fitzmaurice shot in 1988. I'm still afraid to look at them, but there might be a photo of me in there. I'm saving the 1982 49ers parade photos, the images from the 1978 Gay Pride Parade, and as many Willie Mays photos as I can carry. And I'm taking all of our images from February 5th, 1976, the day it snowed in San Francisco. With each year that passes, the idea of snow in San Francisco seems a little more surreal. So I've been working on a project with the Chronicle digital team. Today on sfchronicle.com, we launched an interactive map so you can see what your San Francisco neighborhood looked like under a blanket of snow. The photos are from the Chronicle's archives and also from Chronicle readers who contributed their images and stories. And some of the best images came from Bill Fox. He was a 49ers photographer for decades, but he was a young police officer coming off his shift after midnight when the snow started falling in 1976. I invited Fox on today's episode, along with Chronicle librarian Bill Van Niekerken. The three of us talk about the history of snow in San Francisco, read part of Herb Cain's column from that day, and share our own memories from the last true miracle in San Francisco, the time it snowed on our city. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to the big event. Welcome to snow in 1976, the last time it snowed in San Francisco. Bill Van Niekerken and our guest, Bill Fox. Hey, how's it going? It's going fantastically. And welcome, Bill. Thank you. Appreciate uh, being here, Peter. Yeah. So we have two Bills here. This isn't going to get confusing, though. Bill Van Niekerken, our librarian at the Chronicle, and kind of my archive running buddy, and Bill Fox, who I've known just through email for for many years now, um, starting when I tried to gather snow in 1976 photos several years ago, and Bill has a great story about how he shot his. But also, you have a you have a very Bay Area background here. Could you give me a little bit? Give, give me your give me give, give me your resume in a, in a few sentences. Well, Peter, let's see. I was born at 9.03 p.m. on July 5th, 1950 at Mount Zion Hospital, and uh, nice. went from there. Um, no, I was a San Francisco guy, and I, I was born and raised here. I went to um, public schools, um, went to San Francisco State, so I got the entire education within the city and county of San Francisco. And uh, I was a San Francisco police officer for a couple of years in the early uh, 70s, and um, a lifelong 49er and Giant fan, and... Uh, um, San Francisco is in my DNA, and uh, this event today we're talking about, I mean, I think this is one of those, you know, pinnacle events, which is kind of, you know, faded from the headlines if it wasn't for you, and that uh, I'm really grateful that uh, uh, you've kept the, the great snow of 76 alive. Well, and, thank you. I mean, Bill and I are super excited about it. I've got to say the the beginning of me going in the archive, I say the very beginning was... Uh, I had a blog. It was a parenting blog, and we got 
tired of talking about our kids, so we started talking about nostalgia. And, you know, I'd, I'd use various Google searches to try and find out whatever happened to Paul from the Diamond Center or Pat McCormick or whatever thing we were talking about. And it started with the two-headed snake at Steinhardt Aquarium. Some parent in a comment on the SFGate uh, site asked about the two-headed snake, and I thought I had imagined it. So I did a Google search, couldn't find anything on it, two-headed snake at Steinhardt Aquarium. So I go to Bill, like, Bill, do we have any record of this? And I think the archive was down here by then, but... um, I think it was, too. Yeah, because it was upstairs for a while. He gave me this key on a little orange lanyard, and then I came down here, and it was just like my world opened up. I mean, it's such an incredible place here, and we're in the archive right now. But the snow in San Francisco was where it all exploded. I put a few photos, same thing. Someone, do you remember when it snowed in San Francisco? Came down, scanned a few photos, and they did. They just went crazy. Everybody loved it. Now I'm working on this project, and I got back in touch with you, Bill, because um, I think you took the best photos, and we've had, we've had dozens submitted to us. It doesn't surprise me you're a professional photographer because uh, your photos were fantastic, and your story was even better. So <laughs> I, I was just hoping you could tell it. 1976, Bill and I, maybe we should give a little bit of background. 76 snowfall, Bill, was... Well, no, I was in Burlingame at the time. Yeah, And I I don't believe it was sticking to the ground. So my sister and I got in the car and we drove up to Skyline Boulevard up above Hillsborough. And there was easily two or three inches of snow there. And we had a little snowball fight and made a snowball man. And there were a bunch of other kids up there, too. Looking in the archive, Bill... Where where does this this is the last time it snowed in San Francisco, but not the only time? No, 1962 was the first time I ever saw snow, and uh, um, and and the front page story mentioned that that it was the biggest snowfall since 1887, and they got a whole three inches of snow. Yeah, yeah, and 62 I think it snowed, and maybe 50. What, maybe once in the 50s? 52, but 52 is like three-tenths of an inch. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think that the city at that time was overwhelmed by the fact that the uh, city of San Francisco train had been hit by an avalanche uh-huh. that day and was uh, under an avalanche. And so it was on everyone's mind there was snow. And if you read the stories, I think it was just hail. It was three-tenths of an inch of hail. So yeah. I don't think that's a real snow, but they counted it as snow. Yeah. Well, I want to hear your story, Bill, and then I think uh, uh, Bill Van Niekirken and I will go through a little bit that was in the mm-hmm. Chronicle, too. But you're a, you're a police officer at this time, correct? That's correct. That uh, I was a 25-year-old uh, San Francisco police officer. I, uh, I think I was at Park Station at the time. Uh, I was living uh, in Diamond Heights on Red, Wa- Red Rock Way in an apartment on the third floor of this beautiful uh, view apartment that had a... Um, beam ceiling and wood paneled, uh, uh, paneling and a uh, uh, gas-burning fireplace. And uh, I had just come home from work. I got off work at um, midnight and uh, drove up uh, uh, Portola Drive to my house there on Red Rock Way. And uh, as was my custom, I came in and I sat down on one of those 1970s vintage um, uh, uh, pillows and I, I poured a bourbon, and I'm just looking at this beautiful view I had of, of downtown San Francisco. It extended from the Bay Bridge uh, about 270 degrees um, 
to see the Transamerica building and the Bank of America building. And to the left, I could see um, Mount Tamalpais practically and uh, the uh, Twin Peaks. And I mean, it was a fabulous view. And so uh, about 1.30, I'm getting pretty mellow. And all of a sudden, there's this <laughs> stuff that starts collecting on the frame. And I go, is that snow? And it was snow. And I got up from uh, my beanbag chair, and I opened the window, and it was snowing so hard that you couldn't see across the street. And uh, I stuck my head out, and, and snow's hitting my ears, and I can't believe it. I mean, it's snowing in San Francisco. And like Bill, I, I remembered the, the 1962 snow. It was in January. And uh, uh, at that time, I was living out in the sunset, and that was a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And I remember... Uh, you know, as it was the custom in those days that, you know, my parents dressed me in my little suit and tie and took my brothers and I to church. But we bypassed uh, the church and we went to 26th and Ortega, where the, the Sunset Reservoir was. And the Sunset Reservoir was like about this 200-foot drop that was all grass and that had been turned into a ski slope by all these kids. And there were I, literally hundreds of kids, you know, swarming on this this <laughs> slope of a quickly vanishing uh, snow, and I go, look at that! There's snow in San Francisco, and it was so exciting. And so here we are now, uh, 14 years later, and this is big time snow. I mean, people in you know McHenry, Illinois, would probably be laughing at us, and, and we'd be making fun of us right now. We're talking about you know two to three inches of snow in San Francisco. Now it's rare that you got to see this because I've I've gotten feedback from a lot of people, and their memories are usually waking up and seeing it. Mm -hmm. And this is an era before text alerts and mm -hmm. you know checking Twitter or whatever. I mean, I think people just woke up, opened their curtain, and saw the snow. But you're one of the few people that I think saw it developing and saw it happen. Well, that's that was kind of the thing. Was that uh, so? I got up and I go. I got to take a picture of this. And so I got my camera and a tripod and a flash. And I I went downstairs and into the street, and there's nobody around. And I'm looking back up at the apartment. And all the lights are off. And I go. I wanted to scream, snow, snow. <laughs> and, and then I go, no, don't do that. You're gonna have it all yourself. Be jealous. Or be yeah. be selfish. And and uh, um, so I had this incredible like. And then by that time it had stopped. And it was just like this pristine snow lay on top of asphalt. And I'm a city guy. It was Sunset District. I mean, I'd never seen it snow before, and I'd never even gone skiing. And so uh, I start to walk out on the snow, and what's the first thing that happens? Crunch, crunch, crunch. And I go, God, it's snow. And and I just, it was just exhilarating. I mean, I know that sounds so silly, but I, I had never seen snow in the meantime, I have this view in front of me. I mean, at the end of Red Rock Way, where I live, was this beautiful view of downtown San Francisco. I mean, the, the Transamerica building was all lit up in the Bank of America, and here was the Bay Bridge with some traffic right in front of me. So here's the city of San Francisco, and, and it's bathed in snow. And, I mean, it was just you know, uh, surrealistic was a, a great 70s word. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's the only word I can used to describe what the feeling was, Peter. I mean, it's just like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky to be in this moment. And I, I kind of knew, I mean, this doesn't happen. Yeah. And, and I mean, actually, to put this into perspective, okay, I mean, most cities m will mark history by, you know, how many times we won the Super Bowl, how many times we won, you know, the World Series and stuff. Well, San Francisco's done that eight times in the last 35 years. Uh, how many times has it snowed in San yeah. Francisco? I mean, there's really only been three times of measurable, decent snow 
in the history, the 175-year history of San Francisco. I mean, 19 or 1887, February 5th, uh-huh. which was three inches. Uh, 1962, which is about three inches, and the last time was February 5th of 1976. Yeah. So I mean, you know, there've been more World Series championships <laughs> and Super Bowls, which are considered really rare, than it's been snow in San Francisco, and uh, it just such, was such a remarkable event that day. Well, I I think there has to be like a little kid in you, but there's also the photographer in you. At what mm-hmm. point? Did you look at your camera, assess your situation, and decide to take these wonderful photos? Well, I mean, I, I, you're giving me more credit as a photographer at that time yeah. uh, because I, I was a cop, and I was, uh, but I was experimenting. I wanted to be a, a photographer. I wanted to be a sports photographer, and uh, which I eventually quit shortly after the snow fell, and I became a full-time sports photographer for the next 40 years. And I had some you know, decent cameras and stuff, but I had one roll of film in this camera, and it was this old-fashioned GAF 500 color ne- or color um, slide film, which is horrible. I mean, it was grainy and everything like that, but that's all I had. Yeah. And so I, I had to be you know, really careful by not shooting all my bullets. So uh, I, I took the camera, the tripod and the, the flash, and, the, and I think I was using a 50-millimeter lens. And I walked out in the snow, leaving this great trail of footprints there, which is pretty awesome. And the first thing I saw that was San Francisco was a San Francisco fire plug. <laughs> and it was all covered in snow. And I go, okay, that's that's picture number one. And, and, I, and to back up, you said all your bullets. You had six photos. Yeah, I, I, I had about, I think I had eight frames left on this, this 36 roll of film. And that yeah. was it. And I mean, you know... Uh, when we got the digital and, and 25 frame per second motor drives, I mean, that was going to be gone in, you know, a tenth of a second. Sure. So, uh, which was, you know, so you got to be careful here. I mean, you know, you know, conserve your bullets. And uh, so I took that picture and I shot that with available light. And then I thought, okay, let's get creative here. Let's really gamble. So I, I, start, I backed up a little bit to kind of get this panorama picture that would have all the snow that was on the street. And then you could still see the... Uh, the the skyline of the city in the background. So I backed up and I, I shot a flash and I, I just guessed at the exposure. So I, I did a quick burst and then held the, the, the shutter open for a while, hoping that it wasn't going to blow it out. But I mean, it was dark and so that probably yeah. wouldn't happen. And so the flash reflecting on the snow and, and this, this really weird film made the, the picture really surrealistic because the colors changed and stuff. And, uh, and I didn't know this at the time. I mean, this was before digital where you could check what you're doing on the back of the camera. And so, you know, there's two, two shots down. And so I moved around and did a couple more like that. And, uh, and I just so I hope, hope it's good. Hope it's, hope it's okay <laughs> and stuff. And then, uh, you know, I just, okay. Thank you, and I, I thank you, Cosmos, for <laughs> sending this my way. And I just, I, I just, I just thought that was, you know, for a lack of a better word, spiritual. Yeah. And I mean that I, I was a, a city kid. I mean, I grew up here, and this has never happened before. And I was, so grateful, and I still am, forty, six years later or whatever, um, that I, I experienced that because not too many people did. And uh, again, I mean, you know, this would be dead if it wasn't for you, and 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 you brought this back, and. Uh, which is so cool. I'm proud to be part of this thing. Yeah, well, and, I, I think people don't believe it. I mean, yeah. my my generation <laughs> believes it because I was, I remember yeah. it. I yeah. was five or six years old and I remember 
you know, the phenomenon. It's one of my earliest memories. People younger than me not only don't remember it, like they can't fathom it. I mean, when they see San Francisco under snow, and that's why I want to build with every available technology we have, let people see what it looked like because surreal is the word. I mean, it, it, uh, it's, I mean, it's over 40 years ago. Yeah. the, The only thing I can compare it to is Playland. When you tell someone who's in their 20s and 30s that there was an amusement park at the end of the city, that's a mind blower. Right. But it yeah. snowed in San Francisco, I think, is the biggest one. Yeah. Well, I would agree. I mean, it's um, and and with Playland, I I, I know people who who went to Playland, but but you talk to pe- to younger people about it, and and they have no clue where it was, what it looked like, or even that it ever existed. Yeah. I mean, a roller coaster in San Francisco is just like, what? But snow, I mean, that's kind of the ultimate. Um, Bill, you've been searching around. You've been digging around here, and I'm curious what what you found and, and what's kind of surprised you as, as you've been. And you've been researching this for years. Well, the 1962 s- snowfall w- was front-page news, and it took up we, – we have a good-sized picture on the front page, and then we have a – Inside, we have a full photo page with six or seven shots, and then we have another page of f- full of pictures of snow. And um, you know, it was just it was just a really big deal. I mean, at that point, they say almost a hundred years. Yeah. You know, since since the, there had been that much snow, and so um, and I remember um, I had never seen snow before. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and and I woke up Sunday morning, as Bill said, and looked out the window, and 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 our front yard was white. And so, so we three kids all ran outside. But my mom, who had grown up in Holland, she didn't want to go out in the snow, so she stayed inside and watched us play play out in the snow. And uh, um, and as, as Bill said, it's, it's Sunday, so you so you went to church on Sunday. And by the time we we got out of church, it was. About sixty degrees, and the snow had had all melted. Oh, yes, I was disappointed. Yeah, yeah. But seventy six, uh, it didn't melt that quickly. I, I the Chronicle mobilized pretty early. Um, I think there were four or five photographers, different photographers who took photos. Plus Gary Fong, uh, living photographer. He's he's he was quite young then. I think he was in his mid early twenties. He just gave me four photos that he took that morning. Similar situation. He woke up not at midnight, but I think two in the morning, and and just looked outside and shot out his window. Yeah. But um, Chronicle mobilized quickly in 1976. You had Clem Albers going everywhere. Clem Albers, like he, he was, I think 73 at the time. I think he was head of the, of the photo photo uh, department at the time too. Yeah, but he was in his 70s, and he had uh, shot the WPA and and had shot. Um, uh, internment camps in World War II. He had had quite a career by the 70s, yet he was the one running around everywhere shooting. I think he shot six different neighborhoods. Joe Rosenthal got a couple photos in. And then um, Art Frisch, without getting permission, Gary tells me, he just went and booked a plane at like 5, 6 in the morning and ended up taking aerial shots from, I think, the Carquinas Bridge up the peninsula and then through San Francisco, he got one of Sutro Tower pretty low and then shot the most iconic snow photo, one of the most iconic photos in our library, Bill, which is 
Oh yeah, it's 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 spectacular, and it's on the front page of the of the paper, and it's just you you see the Golden Gate Bridge in in the foreground, and and behind is the is Marin, and it's it's just covered in snow. It looks like a like a picture uh, like like hills up in up in the in the foothills or up up by up by Lake Tahoe it looks like that much snow it's such a fantastic shot and art shot it from a plane gary's the one who did all the photo production gary fong to this day is just a legend in being able to burn and dodge and and do things to photos that just make them look spectacular um, I've seen some of his shots, and he explains it to me, and it's just like he's such an artist. So it was really an art and Gary production, and um, it's a fantastic photo. I, I got a chance to talk to Gary, and I'm going to quote him a little bit in my story, and uh, uh, it's just a great photo. So I, I think it was a you know the the writing was good. It was it was a really good performance by the Chronicle that day, um, including Herb Kane, who uh, I get the feeling his column was done. Because you'd think the whole column would be about snow, but um, he just wrote a little bit about snow. I'm going to quote. It's just one item, but I'm going to read a little bit of it. Uh, Loud cries of snow, snow at 6 a.m. yesterday on our usually quiet street. Kids tumbling out in parkas for snowball fights. Their elders flashing cameras. Immediate bicentennial colors. Red noses, white breath, blue ears. A neighbor's French poodle let out for its morning constitutional, hit the icy <laughs> stairs, and skidded hilariously to the sidewalk, legs flying as we laughed. It looked offended and French. <laughs> um, I love this. Uh, putting on an overcoat, muffler, gloves, and pasting a Ski Transamerica Pyramid sticker on my bumper, I headed south on Webster, glorying in the white silence of distant San Bruno Mountain. And that's pretty much it. I think he I think he had his column done and just added a paragraph. But it was sure, a great yeah. paragraph yeah. as usual. That man could write on deadline. Y- yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, he's you know, we still get requests for his columns all the time. I think the thing uh, about the snow is that there if if you live in San Francisco and you're native and you lived here for a long time, um you you kind of pick up this real sense, you know, sensuous quality about living here. It's, mm-hmm. you feel it on your skin. I mean that the fog ebbs and flows in every day. You can't work on the rhythms of the of the nature. Um, there was a time before things changed that you could tell what the weather was going to be like by the by the the direction of the wind because that the smells from um, out by Hunter's Point where they had the tallow works you'd smell that. I mean you could smell coffee coming in and you knew if if you had a different smell that oh the weather's going to change and stuff. And so I think San Francisco people. You know, we're really sensitive and, and to the things like that. And this this was the topper. I mean, snow. <laughs> I mean, this this isn't, you know, Montana or something. This was San Francisco. And I think it, it just, I mean, it blew my mind, I mean, to see this. And it was so beautiful to see the most beautiful city in the world, you know, bathed in snow. And, and you knew the uniqueness of the thing. And you knew, well, this isn't going to last very long. But uh, there was just... For me, I mean, it was just such an appreciation and gratitude for this really rare, you know, exquisite moment. And 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 I, I feel really special because I was awake and I was I was up on top of one of the hills in this you know beautiful apartment, and I could see this thing you know coming together. And 
Uh, I mean, there's 700,000 people in San Francisco yeah. who didn't get that experience, and and uh, and it hasn't happened since. So, I mean, I really am grateful that I, I could experience that thing. Yeah, I'll tell you. There's a reason they shoot films here, and everyone wants to shoot films here because, you know, the city, and it's a cliche, but the city becomes a character, and the topography and the constantly changing weather, um, San Francisco is has life to it mm -hmm. that, you know, even I live in Alameda, and I don't see it like I see it here. No. So to add this whole other dimension, this thing you're not even thinking of, that it could snow here, I mean, it's just, it, it takes this beautiful city that I wouldn't ask for anything more from San Francisco, and the idea that it could transform like this into this new, beautiful thing for a fleeting moment. I mean, you have to be here if... The, the longest I'm sure it's lasted, maybe in the 1800s, 1887, it lasted for a day or two before it melted. But 62 and 76, it was gone pretty quick. Yeah. So um, I, it's beautiful. And, and I'm so grateful we have these photos and we had these wonderful photographers. And then now I'm getting photos from other people like you, Bill, um, that you had people to document it, not just here's what this building, here's what this monument looked like, but here's what San Francisco looked like and the people and the lights and the stories behind it, your story. I mean, that's to me what makes it special. And you can see the pictures and everyone's having fun. You can just yeah. see the joy on the kids' faces <laughs> as they're making snowballs. And make. And this is a good-sized snowman here in 1962. We have at least three feet tall. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But it's something that, you know, you just don't expect to see and... And it's a blessing if, if 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 we get to see another one. Okay. Well, I I'm hoping we do. Um, and, which, uh, which begs the question. Yeah. Uh, were it to happen again? Yeah. Okay. We, we should talk about this. Uh, I mean, there's so many people who have come to San Francisco from snow country. Would there be the reverence and just wonderment of of snow in, in San Francisco, or would it be just oh yeah, I've seen snow before? I don't. I agree. Like, there's more transplants now. I think the thing that is going to make it less special is the fact that um, we used to live in a spoiler-free community. We used to live in a community where you discovered things for yourselves or by word of mouth. You went to a movie and you didn't know everything that was going to be in the movie ahead of time. Um, you you found things out. You weren't you know, texted from a friend or I don't know how you guys I'm sure aren't on social media like I am, but I get up in the morning, I'm lying down and I'm on Twitter and I'm discovering things on my phone through friends who have witnessed it, not discovering it myself. And that's the thing that I think will be less special that we'll know ahead of time. I mean, the Chronicle, if you were a, now, maybe if you were watching KRON the night before, they might've had a little prediction that snow might be coming. I don't know, but the Chronicle said snow up in the high hills, like like it might get on Mount Tam. So if you read the Chronicle, um, you read a report that came out the morning before it snowed and was finalized the night before that, and that was your, you know, you had no warning. I mean, you woke up, it was magic, and now it wouldn't be that way. You, you'd know going to bed, or people would be talking about it ahead of time. They'd be gossiping about it on the social media, and I just don't think it would be as special. People would be sending Instagram photos even before you, you could get to the window to see it. Yeah. So it would still be special, but I think it'll never be as special as 76, which is a combination of 
you know, you had people shooting in color and it was a really, you know, a city that I think appreciated it. It was a really good time for San Francisco. I mean, it was a hard time for San Francisco, but it was a aware time with a lot of good people here. And I don't think it'll be the same. Well, you, you know, Peter, I think that uh, we need to have certain things that linger in the portrait gallery of our mind that are not tainted by too many pictures and too much judgment and media creation. And this is one of those events. I mean, that before you did this, I mean, all I can remember, I had a couple of these pictures, yeah. and God, that was such a fabulous morning. And it's been neat to be able to come back and really look at it again and stuff. But I, I just think that, you know, there's th- certain things that need to linger in our mind yeah. and go, yeah, that was great. <laughs> And that this is one of those. February fifth of nineteen seventy six was one of those mornings. Yeah. Well, I I uh, appreciate you sharing the memories, and I'm excited for this project because there's a lot of people like us who have fond memories, and some of them took photos, and I think it'll bring some things back for some people. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your uh, your your photography and your writing career. We have not plugged your book yet, Land's End, <laughs> a novel by Bill Fox. We just did. Thank you. Uh, uh, and that's, uh, you've got a website I saw, and that's pretty easy to find. And uh, give, give me the, give me the, uh, give me the paragraph or two why you did it and um, what people can expect in the book, what people might like about it. Oh, thank you. Um, I wrote that book uh, when I left the 49ers, and I worked for the 49ers for about 25 seasons, and uh, then it just kind of imploded. And uh, Ann Killian has, has done a wonderful job you know, dissecting what's wrong with the 49ers, yeah. and so I need not go in why I did that. But the 49ers were my life. Uh, from the time I, my father took me to a game in 1956 at Kizar, and we saw those people on the rooftops across the street. <laughs> and uh, and I just I fell in love with the game. I loved the game, and the 49ers are my team. And uh, when I left, it was just like a really the death of a, a family member. Yeah. And so I, I needed something to, to fill um, my, my void. And I had been a cop in San Francisco um, in the early 70s, and that kind of ran its course, too. Um, I just had seen enough. I think that I probably at the time had a a pretty good case of PTSD. Um, It was a dangerous job. I mean, uh, leading up to the time I was in the police department, 12 guys were murdered. I mean, you couldn't even imagine that today, but 12 San Francisco police officers were killed in the line of duty uh, leading up to 1972 when I was in. And I just, I was 25 years old, and I go, you know what, there are other things I want to do. And I got into sports photography. So when sports photography ended, uh, I'm now at this point in my life, I go, you know, having the underpinnings of my identity being knocked away. Mm -hmm. I mean, what am I going to do now? And so I was in this really reflective period at the time. And uh, I hadn't really closed the door on the police department. I left at age 25. And I always wondered, I mean, what would have happened if things were different, if I hadn't left? Um, and I left after we had this strike, I mean, the infamous you know, police fire strike of the summer of 1975. And, um, and my friends uh, who had stayed in the department um, in the 122nd recruit <laughs> class were all starting to pick up these wonderful pensions and stuff. And I was somewhat <laughs> jealous, but they certainly earned them. Yeah. And uh, we actually had two members of our class get killed in the line of duty, and they really uh, earned it. And uh, um, so I, I decided, you know what? I want to go back, and what would my life have been like uh, if I hadn't quit? 
And it really required this really deep intimacy with myself because I could write, you know, a Michael Conley police procedural uh, and, and create a Harry Bosch character, or it could be, you know, Jack Reacher. <laughs> but that wasn't me. I mean, I was a radio car patrolman in San Francisco, and I didn't make big arrests, although I was in on some pretty big, you know, things that happened during that time, like, the, the you know, the zebra killer and Patty Hearst and that. And um, so I decided I'm going to write the rest of my life in the story and what would I have turned out to be. And so I created this character, you know, Officer Philip Ma- Matthew McManus, who was an SI class of 67 guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, played football and he had friends and uh, he lives in the old apartment up on Diamond Heights that I lived in. And this is a kind of a character arc of a guy trying to find himself at the end of his career. And uh, and so we throw in a lot of, you know, contemporary stuff. I mean, the period of time was that little sliver of time between, you know, the end of the the, um, uh, the financial crisis and the beginning of tech. I mean, in, 19, in 2010, around mm-hmm. there, which is a, an interesting period of time in San Francisco because it was between. It was a tweener time. We've forgotten sure. it. So what I tried to do with this story is also bring back all my memories of San Francisco. And um, I use, as we talked earlier, San Francisco as a character in this. And and I talk about McManus. Um, he was kind of a sensuous guy. I mean, he'd look at the fog come in, and he would stand in this window, and he'd talk to the fog. <laughs> and and he'd ask a question. And, and if the fog, you know, his hair blew, then there was a, a positive. And if it didn't blow, it was a negative. And, and he kind of used that to guide himself. And he also um, discovered the labyrinth, which is out at Land's End. I mean, sure. there's this, you know, the made by uh, uh, the Mexican artist uh, Aguilar, Aguilar and um, uh, held together by um, that wonderful woman whose name escapes me. And I apologize. Yeah. But, um, but that, if you've ever been out there, I mean, it's this incredible, you know, confluence of the wind, land, and sea, and it's one of the wonderful hidden secrets of San Francisco, this labyrinth. And that's kind of a place where McManus would go to kind of reclaim his soul. He'd walk that labyrinth and, and try and find himself. And it's a story of a cop doing that, but I also, uh, you know, there, it's a murder mystery. I mean, when he's out there, he finds, you know, a murder victim who turns out to be a high school acquaintance and, uh, you know, who did this thing. And so there's a uh, you know, police procedural and a murder mystery and kind of a psychological thriller in the thing. And there's also some crime noir because it takes place in, at night. And uh, uh, there's actually a love interest in the thing. And mm-hmm. uh, um, But anyway, the book is, is Land's End. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, it's probably not on the bookshelves anymore, but you can certainly get it uh, at bookstores. You and got a that, website, uh, and yeah, <laughs> we've got the website and and the, that that big agency that sells books. You can do that one too. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. I I thought we'd end with favorite 49ers. Now you were <laughs> saw a lot of them in person. I've seen a few in person, but you've seen a lot of them in person. But I thought we would all go around pick a favorite 49er. Bill, you could pick one from your childhood and one from your work too. But um, I'm going to start with you, Bill. Well, Van Niekerken, yeah. sorry. <laughs> well, I was actually a Raiders fan, but I listened to both the 49ers and the Raiders on okay. the radio back when I was a kid. And I always thought that John Brody was a good quarterback who just never got the respect he he uh, deserved. Yeah. We have some wonderful, wonderful photos of him. Yes, we uh, do. You've seen him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a quarterback for... More than a decade, right? Seventeen yeah. years, right. seventeen, 17 years. years, and they and and they came close to winning it all a couple times, and yeah. and just fell short. Uh, good one, I like that, John Brody. 
Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Paul Hofer was my Ooh. childhood. He was the first guy I really noticed. Um, my parents didn't bring me to games, and I, I did this with my kids. They didn't. We had Niner season tickets going back to Kizar, but I wasn't allowed to go to games until I wanted to go. Like They weren't just going to drag me to make it an experience. I had to like sit and watch it on TV. And the first game they took me to, uh, I got to see Hofer play. And, and uh, the second game, he was on crutches that I went to. And, and, uh, and then his career, uh, very sad. I mean, he played part of the season, I believe, but didn't get a Super Bowl ring and then ended up suing the Niners and there was a whole thing and the more I read about him the more I I mean he was the prototype for the West Coast offense um, was just you saw him on the street and he looked like anyone else and just played put every ounce of his 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 life into that that team and uh, I've heard he's good to the fans and I've always just respected that and felt sad that he and his career ended just yeah. right when that Super Bowl happened. Yeah. So that's my that's my uh, 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 older one. And then if I had to pick a little bit of a newer one, I'd pick Steve Young. But he was the one when I was in my teens and 20s that I really loved. Bill Fox. Hugh McElhaney. Oh, number yeah. 39. Did you see him play? The King. Uh, yes. My father wow. took me to my first 49er game in 1956, uh-huh. and uh, we saw the Green Bay Packers on December 7th, 1956. And I, he took me to all those games in 1957 when they had the great alley-oop, uh, you know, play with R.C. Owens. Yeah. And, uh, so my two favorite guys are going to be from 57. Uh, number one, the king, Hugh McElhaney. And uh, my favorite Hugh McElhaney story was that, uh, you know, if, as a kid, you could go out into the parking lot and that's where the the locker room was, and the uh-huh. players would come out, and and they'd be parked out there, and so you'd wait for a player, and you know most of them would sign you as he walked to his car and stuff, and and I wanted to get the King's autograph, and it was a game against the Bears, and they got stuffed in 1958, and so I'm fighting my way in this crowd trying to get you know the King to sign my autograph, and we get to his car door, and he opens it, and he puts his arm around me, and he says, "Next week, okay, son." <laughs> and, oh, and I just wow. and I just thought, you know what? That was better than the autograph because he talked to me and he showed kindness and all yeah. stuff like that. And I met Hugh McElhaney uh, when I was with the Forty Niners, and this was in nineteen or two thousand seven. So now this is you know fifty years later or so. And uh, um, I came up and I told him that story and stuff. And we're on the sideline at halftime on Alumni Day, and I told him the story. Uh-huh. And he put his arm around me again, and we got a picture taken of the two of us together like that. And I just oh, thought that was so so cool. Uh, Oop, uh, who recently died, I mean, he was just a kind, gentle soul with a wonderful heart. And and he was the Jerry Rice of his time. And, and that alley-oop play was so iconic. And... Uh, uh, and I think one of my favorite memories of the 49ers was I'd sit next to Oop on the plane a lot of times on charters. And, and he loved it when I, hey, Oop, you know, remember the 59 Bear game and stuff? And he'd just get started and he'd go and he'd tell the story. And, and he was such a kind and gentle man and he, and he cared about the fans. And, and, you know, that just that he was remembered mm-hmm. uh, was cool. And, and he just, he was a sweetheart. And I, I got plenty of RCO and autographs and plenty of pictures nice. with Oop. So he, those two guys are great. What about when you were shooting? Uh, I, I, I go with Steve Young. 
I mean, Steve, oh, Young, Steve Young was just a genuine guy. I mean, uh, one of my best memories was that um, I got sent back to Canton when he got inducted and was in his hip pocket all weekend, you nice. know, taking the pictures. And, and I mean, that was, I mean, that was a really interesting experience because, um, you know, that's the pinnacle. I mean, that's the end of the road of, of your career. It started when you're eight years old in Pop Warner. And I and I, I remember this very vividly that on Monday night they would have the, the the game and they'd have this final introduction of the inductees at halftime. And then they walked off the field together. And I, I remember Steve Young leaving that Canton Stadium, which is kind of like a high school field. And, and he walked away and I go, that's it. Now he's going to be a real life person. And that's <laughs> the end. And it, it was kind of like it was wonderful. But what a come down. It's like yeah. you should you know be vaporized and go up into heaven or something <laughs> like that and stuff with wings because he was like that and he was that kind of a guy wonderful wonderful guy i, I mean, love he, i love to hear that because he was he was my favorite um and more so i mean i watched montana you know for most of his career every week and and i i'll tell you when i was at candlestick park i always say the difference between montana and young was that montana you'd be watching with that big field not the little tv and you'd see someone open, you go, that guy's open, and then the ball's there. I mean, he just, he had vision, and you didn't see that with Young. But there was something about the way Young played that I just felt he was laying it all down for oh, us. And, yeah. and it, no. it just felt like he was, there was something about him that just felt like he wasn't above us. He was just using every little fiber of his being to get whatever he could out of that game and get a win for the fans. And I, I just loved watching him play. He's just a kind, gentle, compassionate person. And, uh, I mean, he picked one of my pictures to be on the cover of his book and it was a black and white. Yeah. And he goes, you know, I just like that picture. And I just, <laughs> I was, you know, I was so honored. I mean, yeah. really? I mean, thank you. And, uh, he's just, he's just a great guy. I mean, it's, you know, wish he had some more eligibility left. <laughs> Well, thank you both so much for coming. Bill, thanks for coming all the way to the Chronicle and all of your, your help over the years. Photos, you, you, I didn't even mention, you let us use some Jared Goff photos that you shot when he was eight years old. I, I checked his birthday. He, had, he was eight. Um, and uh, I just really appreciate, I mean, part of what I want to do with the Chronicle with the technology we have is is really engage with the readers more and make this everything that we do more of a group project and you really are the spirit of that oh so thank you really Peter. appreciate I'm, I'm absolutely honored yeah i really appreciate you know, thrilled it. to be here today with you and bill thank you my friend it's always fun yeah, yeah. so snow it's going to snow next week and this podcast is going to be really timely february 7th (laughs) february 5th that's the day february 5th we'll look they say there's a cold spell coming in yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks again guys thank you You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Bill Fox and Bill Van Niekirken. This episode is produced by me, Peter Hartlob. Senior producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S. <laughs>